Resistor Sisters. Destroying the patriarchy one podcast at a time. I haven't accomplished anything alone, but I was fortunate to be part of a revived feminist movement. I think uh, anyone who's not a feminist is is an insane person. This was not just a lewd conversation. This wasn't just locker room banter. This was a powerful individual speaking freely and openly about sexually predatory behavior. At a time when we have self-driving cars and computers that sit on your wrist, women still make only 79 cents for every dollar a man makes. And if I have to listen to one more gray-faced man with a $2 haircut explain to me what rape is, I'm gonna lose my mind. And now, Resistor Sisters. Hello, this is Susan here in Cleveland at Resistor Sisters. And joining me is my friend from Minneapolis, Heidi. Hey, Susan, how are you? All right, coming along here. You know, I play that beginning of uh, Resistor Sisters all the time, but I don't know if we've ever talked about it. Um, I don't think we have. I don't um, think. Unless it was the first episode. I don't think we I don't think we did <laughs> ever. And um I guess I'm assuming because I found those clips and cut them out that that you could identify them and know who they were. But maybe not. Uh the first was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, and then um, there's Michelle Obama. Yeah, the she's after Amy Schumer. Ruth Bader Gimmer, yes. Ginsburg was just saying that she was part of a feminist movement. And then Amy Schumer says, anyone that says they're not a feminist is insane. So that was quick. Yeah. And then, you know, right. Michelle Obama, she's talking about the abuse of power that was happening yes. even before um, the White House changed hands. And then after that was Elizabeth Warren talking about... Um, the inequality of pay, you know, which everybody forgets to go back to, you know, like we're still paying. Yeah, that is equal. Elizabeth Warren. You're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, she said it's seventy nine cents, and I think yeah, I actually saw something the other day that said it actually went down. But when I went to look for the article again, I couldn't find it. So maybe I dreamed mm. it, or <laughs> it was a it was a mistake, and the person who who uh, did it deleted it i don't know but now i can't find it but 79 cents 77 cents still yeah. not a hundred percent not a hundred percent and every job i've had if um i was sitting around and we were talking about how much we got paid and everybody you know showed their paycheck which they weren't supposed to the company's right. always telling you not to it's always well the women are getting paid less than the men so Probably because they have to buy so many personal products for themselves. No. No. What do they have to do? I don't know. Um, and then well, the last no, one. And, and, <laughs> uh, the, uh, well, I'm sorry, what was the last one? I was saying the, it's probably the, because they have to pay for so many personal products like tampons. And I was saying, <laughs> you know, like, uh, probably because they have to buy so much Midol. No. No, that's not it. <laughs> I don't know why. Why did they get paid more? Why? Why did this happen? Do you know? Well, and I, I think I think part of it. Uh, so I've, I've heard a couple of things bandied about many, 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 many times. One of them is, um, so 
if you take two people, one male, one female, from college through to retirement, typically because of uh, women, um, you know, maybe having children, that time frame, some women will say, okay, I don't want to go to work anymore. I want to stay home and watch my my child. Or, you know, in some cases, the pregnancy might have been an issue. So they maybe spent longer than was typical on maternity leave. And then when they get back, you know, they could be met with some issues at work where whomever, you know, is their boss or their management is unhappy um, with the fact that they were gone so long and, you know, you know, they don't understand or that type of thing. Or and in, in certain situations, like so in Minnesota, we have one of the highest um, costs for child care in the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's average a month, 12 to 1500 bucks. So and, and that's average. And that's not, you know, that's not your child learns six languages and, you know, you know, becomes a, a Rhodes Scholar. That's just normal regular child care so if you are someone who just graduated from college maybe you're at a lower level job because you haven't built up the experience yet to move up and you are bombarded with 12 to 1500 dollars for child care every month in a normal setting many women will say you know what screw that are uh, what well, it's not going to make any sense for me to go to work with the commute and all the other stuff after you kind of do a cost analysis, it's pretty much the same, or it's very similar. So, and I know at least a couple of people I know in my real life who have done that cost analysis and said, I might as well stay home because the amount of money that I'm, I'm actually making after you, you know, deduct for all of that is minimal. So that's problematic. You but know. people like you and me that have never had kids, we should get a big, don't they give us money back? Oh, I wish. Our hard work? No, that oh, doesn't happen. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> oh, I wish. I wish that was. Because, I mean, and, and I've been in situations and, and I'm not, excuse, I mean, I'm not complaining as far as this happening necessarily, but I've worked in many offices where there were many women who had, you know, younger kids that left early and then you know, those of us who don't, don't get to leave early on those days because that person's, you know, I mean, they make up their work, but it's like, you know, that can be an issue too. Now, in that same vein, um, you know, none of the people I work with were doing it in a, you know, I'm, I'm leaving early because I'm getting away with something kind of thing. They always made their work up. But, you know, in situations where that's not the case, people can get annoyed and, uh, you know, but I think the problem is, is in a lot of cases, and this is true with, you know, if you look at um, uh, employment um, litigation, where women of a certain age will be paid less because that employer anticipates them um Having babies, anticipates them having babies mm. at that at that particular you know during that particular time. So he or she pays them less because of that fact, um, which is a problem and shouldn't have any bearing on their work uh, product at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, well, no matter if they're a, an attorney, no matter if they are, 
you know, a manager at McDonald's, it shouldn't matter. That kind of thing shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, and definitely, but I, I found that even if you decide in your life that you don't want to have children, it's not like an employer is going to value you more. I find that to be true. Or, yeah, I mean, it sh should be across the board normal. And, and you know, um, and, it, and, and by the way, it, the child care part or the child part isn't just for, you know, that's for foster care. That's for adoption. That's for all of that they assume that that is there's going to be some sort of something which is not you know obviously there is no fairness there um and i i don't know i honestly don't know if there is you know right now if we looked at companies in 2018 you know because a lot of companies have changed some um some of their my company has where uh there's paternal leave so he or she yeah. he or the other spouse um also can get time off after the birth of a child or the adoption of a child to bond i don't think either one of them are lo way long enough i mean i think canada gives you a year uh, to bond with the kid i mean can you imagine that yeah yeah that's in, you know, in the united states that would be amazing people would freak out or you know whatever i really but, like the way france treats their people they give a lot of great, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I know Canada does. Um, my my uh, cousins in Germany, when they, when they had their kids, the government paid them for, I think it was a year. Uh, they paid, the government paid them to be at home. Like, so their salary was paid by the government. Um, and now both cousins at the time were not in high powered, yeah. large dollar, you know, jobs at that particular moment. However, they didn't have to worry about that kind of thing. Um, you know, going into debt or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, it, you know, something we should, we should always strive for. And Elizabeth Warren is one of the strongest voices about this kind of thing. There should mm -hmm. be absolutely reason why it's not a hundred percent you know across the board um <clears throat> i mean it just should not it should not be that way yeah and the, yeah. i guess the other the other complaint is that women tend toward those jobs that pay less so women tend to be nurses which pay less than doctors tend to be but nurses pay like well nurses do not right. pay badly man <laughs> no but when you when you look at nurses versus like a physician, or you yeah, look at yeah. them versus like a, you know those kind of specialties, it is different. But um, you know they you know like teacher salaries. More, more women are in in um, teaching positions than men are. Although I think if you're talking professors, men overwhelmingly over women, if I remember correctly. So it's, yeah. it's one of those that why. I mean, we could talk about teacher salaries for the next six months and not get to every point about teacher salaries. But, you know, I mean, there is that comp component about it as well. Um, you know, but then you look at male teacher salaries versus female teacher salaries, of course, from what I've understood, and correct me if I'm wrong, anyone, that because of the way that their pay is set up, everybody gets paid the same 
if you are a teacher with three years versus another teacher with three years, everybody gets paid the same. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Is that? Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I've never talked to my sister about that. Uh, she teaches, <laughs> but she, she just went. There's a big difference between the counties when she moved from one oh. county to another. And she lost her oh. seniority in the county she moved out of, so... Oh, yeah. God She's sakes. back substituting <laughs> with special needs kid. <laughs> so, that's oh. fascinating. <laughs> but, you know... That, yeah, yeah. yeah, we could... Yeah, we could spend... We could spend so many shows on just teachers. Yeah. Well, the last one was <laughs> I mean, the Tina Fey, and she said, um, if, I, if I need... You know, if I listen to one more man talk about... With a $2 hair to talk about rape. Um, and that <laughs> was at a time when they were talking about rape versus legitimate rape which was really making me crazy because, <sighs> you, you know remember that when that was happening because i yes. was just like my god how and and that just really summed it up really well for me that how dare these men tell me what rape is and the one the one religious leader came out of the woodwork and said well if it's a legitimate rape then the body shuts that down and i'm that like was todd that Aiken. is yeah that was todd Aiken. yeah, yeah you okay <clears throat> Yeah, he was running for some sort of Senate seat, uh, congressional seat in Missouri, and he mm-hmm. said, women, if it's a legitimate rape, women have a way to shut that whole thing down. And I, I remember seeing, and he actually said it. I just want to say, shut your dirty mouth, you're not a doctor, <laughs> you idiot. You know? Like, that made me so mad. And the way oh. Tina Fey came back with it, I was just like, thank you. Now I don't have oh, to man. do violence to this man, but that's what I wanted to do, even though I'm not a violent person, you know, because that made me so angry. It's like, yeah, like you really do you not even know that there are people that are born out, out of rape. That's ridiculous. Oh, God. You know? Oh, yeah. And I, I actually have a friend that was born from a rape. Um, yeah, and this stuff, scary. This, yeah, this stuff makes her absolutely livid. Like, you know what her mother went through you know during you know during and after and year in and year out i mean it's just you know uh, it's and then of course the person who did it was never convicted was never brought to trial Mm. was never arrested you know so it makes it even you know i don't know if it could be worse but it makes it even that much more egregious when, uh, what, what you said, Todd Aiken is his name, right? Yeah, I, Todd, I'm not. Last name is A K I N. Yeah, that and that was just like, what an ignorant, uneducated thing to say, you know. Just I mean, and, and with such confidence too. That's the funny thing. Right. With such confidence, and, you come out and say something ridiculous like that. So well, and you know when they whenever the Republicans would discuss women's health issues, you know abortion and mm-hmm. and uh, birth control, it would always be a panel of all men, and it's like <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, as Rain would say, there's the patriarchy in in full view right there. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, pat us on the head and say, hey, it's okay. We'll figure out your issues for you. You just go run along now. It's uh yeah, it's, and, it's infuriating. And that's why I, I think that, you know, I'm excited about the pink wave, the blue wave. Yes. You know, because... The blue and pink wave? Yeah, yeah the blue and pink wave. It's it's kind of a lavender. Yeah. 
Um, if you mix those <laughs> colors together, which I do, um, even when I'm making smoothies, I mix those colors together. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, you know what? It's about time and you can't expect people to hold. If you don't have the politicians that are holding your values, you have to run yourself. Now, I'm not right. too great on the idea of running for, you know, for a seat. Running so. for office? Yeah, not into that. I, I, see, I would be, but I don't yeah. think I would be able to do it. And I, the reason is, is I, I, I don't, I don't like. Uh, I, I like to be direct. I don't need to pretty up my language in a bow and give it to you with the with tea and cookies. I just don't think I would really do well. <laughs> and so you're saying you're like not that. too big on the politician doublespeak. <laughs> No. And that, yeah, that shit drives me crazy. I mean, you know, when, when, when I want, and it's, it's, and then mm-hmm. I hate this term, but it's really both sides. It's not just Republicans, but it's Democrats too. Yeah. If I'm, if you're being asked the question, don't give me the double speak. Tell me honestly, yes, we are doing this and this is why. Don't do that where you're going to circle around the question and, and not answer it. Cause, because, that's not going to endear endear you to me or to a yeah, lot of people. Yeah. That's just bullshit. You know, there. You should be. If you're running as a Democrat, if you're running as a, you know, whatever, you should be able to go on television and defend your position, whatever the issue is. If you cannot do that, I really don't want you there. You know, if if you're challenged because you voted for whatever, uh, you, you know, to not do price controls on uh, prescription meds. I want to hear you tell me why in a way that under, where you understand that doing that vote and voting against it hurts millions of people. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I want to hear that whether yeah. you're a woman, a man, whether, you know, whether whatever, but yeah, I, you know, and I think the nice thing is that I've seen with a lot of the women that are now running or have won seats since the wave started, um, since the blue tsunami has begun, <laughs> they seem to take that to heart. They seem to be a new, um, a new dawning of a candidate where they are able to answer those questions, at least most of the ones I've seen, are also pretty strong in their responses they do not shy away from those tough questions they Mm -hmm. answer them head on instead of the double speak which is what we need we need that all you know we need that with all of them so i don't know have you seen the same uh yeah i was i was um i had some information about rachel crooks previously and i really liked the things she was saying in her campaign because i went she was one of the um one of the pink tsunami that was coming through and I, I got some things from her campaign website and I, I thought it was very inspirational. Um, let me, let was me just, she the, uh, was she the, uh, Trump, uh, <laughs> accused, one of the Trump accusers? Yes, she was. She was okay. the one that was a young girl that was working at Trump towers. He greeted her and kissed her and, um, <laughs> and just stuck some tongue down her throat. She, oh. Yeah, and she said, um, n- she said, I 
you know, called her sister, couldn't believe it happened. And then later when she came forward and said that, he said, I don't remember that. And why would I do that when there were, you know, when there were cameras in that, like, in the Trump Tower? Whatever. That she was saying, oh, yeah, it wouldn't God. stop him. But yeah, so she um, basically said, okay, well, you don't believe me. She called, he called her a liar. Um, this was back. And so now she's up for, um, she's up for state, what is it, state rep? I'm not, no, I, I can't remember these things to save my life. But um, here's some things that she was talking about in her campaign. Uh, Rachel Crooks, and she's from Ohio. And I, I thought oh, it was particularly okay. inspirational. So let me play that real quick deserve a government that understands health care is a right, not a privilege. And they deserve a government that values openness and cooperation over anger, divisiveness, and fear. Maybe I can't fix what's wrong in Washington, but I can make a difference right here where I live. That's the promise of politics. When more women get involved, when new voices are heard, we can change the face of our government. Today we're writing a new story that I hope will one day be all too common. First we march, then we run, then we win. So I was a little excited nice. about that. I got a little choked up about that. Oh, nice! But she, that, I mean, that's and it's it's interesting. Yeah. That uh, I, you know, it's interesting that that she is taking her anger and her obvious disgust with what happened yeah. and channeling it into helping others, which is hopefully that's, you know, when you run for office, your hope is that they're running to uh, be a public servant. At least that's what it used to be. Yeah. Um, not that State you're representative is what she's running for. Right. Yeah. Nice. So what are, what are her, um, you're in, you're in Ohio. What yeah. do you think the chances are? Is she running in a district where she's got a shot? I I am not sure how things will go with this, but I I like her campaign. You know, I mean, it's it, she made it to be the state representative. She's definitely going to be on the um, ballot in November. So I'm not cool. sure who she's <clears throat> running against. Hmm. Let's see. Because you know, it would be. I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, the more people like her, not necessarily Trump accusers, but more people like her that took an incident that occurred, that happened to her um, in a negative way and channeling it into a positive change, that's all we can hope for. That's all, I mean, make something pretty out of something ugly. Yeah, and Trump is absolutely pretty ugly. So, yeah, that would, be, that would be amazing if that actually, if that's if she's able to get elected. I think. Yeah, so she's going to be in there in November. I'm looking to see who else is going to be on the ballot. Hmm. Yeah, because we, uh, you know, we just need we just need more people like her and. Um, Stacey Abrams and all those people. We just need louder voices. Mm-hmm. Um, forward, we just do. Yeah, it becomes. Yeah, it just makes. I think things are going to be less um, less frustrating soon. <laughs> but um, oh, I hope so. 
Yeah. If we don't, don't all die first from, uh, <laughs> you know, North Korea or something. But as, as long as we're talking about Trump now, you, you said that you, you watch Stephanie Rule a lot. Yeah, she's what? So she has uh, two shows, one that mm-hmm. it's just her, and then another one with her and Ali Velshi, and then he has his own show also in the afternoon. So I usually watch one, I usually try to catch the one where they're together because I, I love them together. So, and she's she's a tough, tough woman, and she's mm-hmm. pretty damn smart, and he's amazing. So, um, but yeah, I love them both. Well, this is just 40, 50 seconds, so I can play this. Um, it's basically she's getting a little frustrated with the tweeting. And, and I am, too, because I don't think, you know, no president has done this beforehand. But basically, she drops the It's market moving. And an hour before the number is published, the president tosses out a tweet at 720 in the morning. Hey, all eyes on the jobs number. I think it's going to be good. Well, no, sh- correct. We know that you know that. This is what you do to me, Katie Tur. I, I can't. Yes, the president knows that number. So at the very least, he's saying, don't focus on any of the bad news. Only focus on the good news because I have the good news. And at the very worst, he is telling the market ahead of time. And, and while there wasn't a price action, we saw a huge volume action at 721 in the markets right after the president said it. Chris, why don't presidents do this normally? Well, for exactly the reasons Stephanie just said, this is one of the most sensitive pieces of federal data. We literally put it under lock and key. Yeah. And, and you know, there, <laughs> you know, there are people that are just trading. They are just sitting there and they are trading and they're switching stocks around. There's going to be responses, right. you know, like it's just it's it's. Uh, well, I mean, here's what he's doing. I mean, and yeah. I. I Vaguely remember that. Vaguely remember her saying that only because I probably was the half listening to her at the time when she said that. But here's here's the issue. <laughs> the problem is is people that would hear that or see that at that time are going to be people who are not you and me. So they're going to take that as cool those numbers are good i mean mm-hmm. you, all you need to do is read between the lines it's not that difficult um and just reading his tweet you know what he's saying um and so markets are volatile when the leaders of the country start spouting or saying th- saying anything that might look one way or another i mean they mm-hmm. do i mean look at how volatile it's been with uh, North Korea and the trade crap and all this other stuff. It's because it's it's doing that for a reason. You know, if he mentions Amazon, there's a stock tank. It's, and he's doing it on purpose. Don't think yeah, he's not. Yeah, he knows yeah. what he's doing. And the, the problem comes in, of course, and, and I get that, you know, the thing was that she said, you know, curse words on television. I get that. But, oh, yeah. you know, not not the first time I've heard it, obviously. And um, relatively tame versus some of the other stuff I've heard on. Yeah, I mean, she she said lately. she said sh- <laughs> she could have said sugar. You know, that would have been a yes, good cover, right? But right, <laughs> yeah, I've done that a million times. You know, and you know, like today she was um, 
talking about, uh, you know, obviously br- breaking down some of the stuff that Trump has been saying recently about trade and, and deficits and stuff. One of the mm-hmm. things that I like about their particular show is that they give you real information and they'll break it down so you understand it. So that's a positive thing. And she's, Stephanie Rule is amazing. So if anybody yeah. goes to her, her Twitter feed, she's, like I said, she's one of my favorites. One mm-hmm. of my favorites. Yeah. Not afraid to go right at you. So, um, but yeah. So, but, you know, another strong woman with, who has... But- you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, don't you think leaking information like that can be, uh, I mean, people, that can, that can, that's like insider information almost, you know? It is. It like, is, that's it like is. letting insider information go. And people respond right. to that. And people, there are people right. with tons of money that just juggle things, you know? And they hear that and they go, okay, I'm going to throw this to the right instead of the left. That can right, be- and and that's the, those are the people that have all that money. Yeah. You know, he talks to people of in you know people of industry, CEOs of other com- other large American conglomerate companies, mm-hmm. huge companies, and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he knows who these things are helping, and those people that yeah. are getting help are people that he considers either friends or people he wants to help wants to help um i mean that's just that's just common sense that's just he knows what he's doing and he's doing it for them which i mean every day i swear i wake up i turn on i turn on msnbc or whomever Mm -hmm. i'm watching and and i just shake my head for the first 20 minutes (laughs) i'm surprised surprised i don't need a chiropractor full time i mean it's just (laughs) You're going to wrench your neck out. You're going to wrench your neck out. Unbelievable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, just to get away from the uh, international climate, I'm going to, you know, just do one more, um, uh, one more little uh, soundbite and then we'll chat about it. But just to get off the international and pol- political, um, Rain sent me a, a link of, different people that have different women they have shows um that i've watched and a lot of them really good (laughs) but um uh one of the my favorite well drew barrymore you know drew barrymore right oh i love i love drew yes yeah she's delightful she's got this show called the santa clarita diet and, oh uh, yeah, I think I've watched a couple. Did you of watch it? Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's so it. funny. I watched the whole season. I think she came back with season two, but um, I, I like that. Um, she's it, it's great that she's working because she she is like, you know, she's just come back from a lot from being a child actor and all that. But yes. um, I really don't like that. They, sometimes they put um, older women and don't give them roles so this is like i I really like this show and uh yeah you probably like it because it's bloody as heck but (laughs) (laughs) it's so crazy right but um (laughs) but anyway i'm gonna play her real and basically she uh drew barrymore frankie shaw from smilf um tracy ellis ross from blackish um one of my favorites rachel Brosnan from the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Molly Shannon, okay. and then just nice. you know some other people from uh, different shows got together and they were talking about 
Me too and other issues, but let me play the Drew Barrymore real quick. I think uh, my show creator, Victor Fresco, who is just a genius and has given me the greatest gift in my life at this moment, I think he's commenting a lot with the show on the narcissism state of the world, the gluttony state of the world, the attitudinal, like, as far as women not wanting to take crap anymore, but how do you, you know, live in your id and fight without being selfish and it negatively affecting everyone around you and just a woman who's dynamic but wrong but <laughs> living her best like life herself, giving it the full Oprah. You either have to have a big daring spine in a show mm-hmm. I think and we're all which in you, those yeah, kind yeah. of shows which yeah. is amazing mm-hmm. or you've lost the current audience because we've just come too far it's all been put out there and we can't go back to like this Mary Neverland type of Leave it to Beaver so mm-hmm. they could make a show called Leave it to Beaver it'd be very different <laughs> We did an episode in our show all about Nazis, and I'm like, whoa, okay, here we go again with the daringness of Santa Cruz diet and their tone. And then as it was being shot, the Charlottesville march was going on simultaneously. Mm. We would go yeah. from our trailer to watching CNN and go in to shoot this scene. And then the scene is really about when one of the Nazis comes in in a wheelchair what is the real discrimination there? And are you discriminating because you're oh discriminating? And it just gets, and he's like, you're discriminating against me because I'm in a wheelchair. And she's like, no, that's not why I'm discriminating against you. It's because oh you're a Nazi. And then it just gets so crazy. And then she eats them. Of and course. that's well. just a great way to solve a problem. Oh, and it was, it was a fun God. way for me to deal with what is happening right now that I don't believe is happening and yet the make-believe gave me some way of dealing with it in a comedic and crazy way. Mm-hmm. I was Always. glad. I was like, she better still eat that. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if you watched that episode. It's kind of far in. But um, there's kind of an old adage in horror movies. Like, if you're killing zombies or Nazis, just go all out, you know? Like, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I have to get back into that and see that. Yeah, that I haven't seen. I haven't. Um, it's fun. It's fun because you, you for a while, but yeah, yeah, because you know how in Evil Dead, I think it is. He's got a lawnmower and he's just mowing down Nazis with the lawnmower, and it's just like, you know, I think that's one of the first things that I watched that was really gory, and I'm like, okay, this is great. They're not human. They're Nazis, you know. <laughs> so when they got to that part in the show where they were like. Okay, but these guys are Nazis, so you know the 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 woman is a she's a zombie, so she's you find that out first episode. So she's like trying to good yeah. get for good people to kill, like people that she wouldn't mind taking out. So when she finds the Nazi baseball group, like the Nazi baseball team, I'm like, yeah, you can eat all those guys. That's fine, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah. So it's just, I mean, it is, it is a, it's a funny show, but at the same time, you're kind of like, yeah, I mean, it is, yeah, I watched, like I said, I watched, um, I have been, um, watched, I watched the, uh, God, I don't know. How long Mm -hmm. was the first step for the first season? Like, uh, was it 13 episodes? I'm not sure. I don't remember, but yeah. I th- there were several. I think I watched the whole first. I think I watched the whole first episode or first season rather. 
Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, I wouldn't like it. If she wasn't a zombie, I wouldn't like it because it's just this picture of this perfect little suburban cul-de-sac. But that perfect right. little su- suburban cul-de-sac, when it's ripped apart and covered in blood, I'm like, oh, I'm interested again. Thank you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Isn't that awful? <laughs> yeah, Probably because funny. I grew up in a perfect little cul-de-sac of suburban... And nobody ever turned into a zombie and killed their neighbors. Unfortunately. No. At least not yet. (laughs) (laughs) I kept hoping when I was young. I was like, would something horrible happen here? And nothing ever does. So that's just, yeah, it's just me. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. I'm... (laughs) suburban life is really really dull to me they're just really nice play it safe people god love them but not my type but yeah yeah, i think i think we should um call it break in a second if you have oh wow already i think so because we kind of just stopped we started like 10 minutes late so i think okay well wait a second Maybe that's not 45. It's not 45. I'm not doing the math right. No, no. If we start at 3, yeah. Yeah. So it would normally be, I'm not so good at 1 plus 1 is too, too many. Um, so normally we would stop at three four, at 45 after, and I let it go another 10 minutes. So that's pretty good. So yeah, that's let's not just, bad. Yeah, let's uh, sew things together and call rain. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. All right. So here we go. All right. And I'll do the do the bumper in between. Here we go. Awesome. You're listening to Resistor Sisters. I look like a hooker. They're called sex workers, and they're heroes. Thank you for your service. Resistor Sisters, the podcast men's rights activists love to hate. Hi, this is Tim Coromall from The Tim Coromall Show, and you are listening to IndieMediaWeekly.com. Extraterrestrial radio, all the power without the tower. Well, hello there. This is Kenny Pick. Thanks for listening to Indie Media Weekly. Be sure to check out my show, Turn Up the Night with Kenny Pick, live every Tuesday and Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on Indie Media Weekly. For those who dare... I'm Rick Beatty. And I'm Nick Sadler. And I am Jody Hamilton. We are From the Bunker. So we do a one-hour weekly podcast. Where we get to speak our mind about stuff from a liberal perspective. We will be on Indie Media Weekly Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. We are so excited. If you don't have any right-wing friends, you'll feel at home with us. From the Bunker. With Jody Hamilton. Nick Sadler. And Richard Beatty. On Indie Media Weekly Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. This is Adam Hebert. On every episode of My Check Radio, me and my co-hosts are not only committed to telling you about the latest political news, but also about the latest nerd news as well. Whether it's the latest scientific discovery, the new season of anime, the ending of a cherished manga, or the latest in comics, television, or movies, my show is guaranteed to bring you something that will make your inner nerd go twee! So be sure to tune in to Mike Check Radio with Adam Hebert live every Saturday night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, only on Indie Media Weekly. IndieMediaWeekly.com. Extraterrestrial Radio, all the power without the tower. Yeah. 
Get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. Listen to Paul's Memory Bank live every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly. Your DJ, Paul, will serve up a mix of classic rock, pop, and novelty music all tied together with a weekly theme. That's Paul's Memory Bank every Monday from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern exclusively on Indie Media Weekly. Extraterrestrial Radio, all the power without the tower. Hey, this is Brad Friedman from bradblog.com and the Bradcast, heard right here on Indie Media Weekly. Thanks for supporting truly independent media, right here on Indie Media Weekly. Like out, everybody. Every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern, Indie Media Weekly presents the Sci-Fi Double Feature with two old-time radio shows from the science fiction and horror genre. The Sci-Fi Double Feature every Sunday and Monday at 10.30 p.m. Eastern right here on Indie Media Weekly. (laughs) This is Indie Media Weekly, extraterrestrial radio. All the power without the tower. Resistor Sisters. Destroying the patriarchy one podcast at a time. Hello, this is Susan from Cleveland. And I'm back. Back in business. (laughs) With Heidi from Minnesota. Yay. Hello. Hello. And joining us for the second half is Rain from D.C. The swamp is less swampy today because the orange monster is over in Singapore. So (laughs) we actually have a lot of... Those poor people. It's really, Haven't they suffered enough? It's really, really humid here today, but it feels less swampy. I feel like there's... I, I feel like, you know what, Singapore? You can keep them. Let's yeah. call it free trade. And when I say free trade, just <laughs> You it. can keep him. <laughs> years ago, years ago, like, Ken's job was like, oh, we're going to open some... We're going to open some different places in Singapore. And we, like, considered half a second moving there <laughs> like even though i wouldn't know the language i think i think the heat would kill me you know i think it would kill ken too because he doesn't like the hot 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 interestingly i know i know several people who have because of job you know they've had to live in a- the the age somewhere on the on the asian continent for like a mm-hmm. one was like for four year four year stint one was for like a decade and after like a little bit of time where it's like holy shit it's hot here um <laughs> they acclimated and they absolutely adored it and one now that's all he does he will re- he refuses to be he refuses to come back stateside because he's like i mean he's like the food the people the just the things yeah. that you see and you can do and and he's like nope i'll take this you know any day he when this luckily he's never been in any sort of inclement weather like a tsunami or anything he just happens to be 
kind of protected where he is. So, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, Singapore is one of those places though. It's on the bucket list. That's yeah. on the bucket list. It would be. It would um, be interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Anthony Bourdain had a show there, um, and pretty much almost every Asia was like his. Mm-hmm. One of the places he absolutely adored. So, yeah. So, were you hit pretty hard by the Anthony Bourdain news? Me. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so I absolutely adored him. I followed him for years. I never did read his book. Um. Mm-hmm. And so, for anybody, you know, if it's a show that you've never watched, there was actually one before, was which was No Reservations, and then they changed it to Parts Unknown. So he goes, yeah, Parts Unknown. I watched. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, he went to some amazing places. You know, there was always food in there because it's Anthony Bourdain, but he would talk to real people, so he wasn't, you know, being shuttled into some palace to discuss the country. He was always with real people. Um, he was always in um, small, maybe not well-known restaurants or cafes or even people's houses to eat, um, discussing politics, discussing um, the food, uh, culture of the, uh, you know, whatever. And yeah. He just I think the so one thing I the- saw, he was like in a Mongolian tent you know, and someone's grandmother was giving him the soup that they always made. And it's like, wow, that's right. just amazing that he would get into these families and, and see their, you know, regular food and everything. It's just, it's, yeah, it, was, mean, he, it was shocking to me as someone that didn't watch the show a lot that he killed himself. You know? Yeah. So, obviously, since his death, they've been rerunning a bunch of his shows on... CNN and the Travel Channel, and it's it's interesting to watch them now and listen to what he says as voiceovers, and even as he's talking to whomever or doing a voiceover to go from one side of the continent to the other, whatever he's doing, and how much happiness or sadness or loneliness seem to be a part of his. Um, just a part of what he was talking about almost every time, almost mm-hmm. every time. Hmm. And you look at that and you know, you know, it's, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's sad. It's very sad. It's very yeah. horrible. Um, his best friend found him, um, Eric repair, uh, anybody who'd ever watched it would ever, ever knew about them. They were, you know, best friends i can't imagine what he's dealing with um his daughter what his daughter's dealing with and it's just it's one of those things depression and suicide suicidal ideation does not discriminate um rich poor affluent not affluent doesn't matter um race whatever you're doing even in the most beautiful part of the world you know, you succeed yeah. to come. It's just, it was, you know, he made, he made the world smaller. It didn't seem so big when mm-hmm. he discussed it, when he talked about it. Cause if you watched it at all, you could, I think you a lot could of feel a kinship. 
I think a lot of us watched it. Is it okay if I jump in? Absolutely. Because, because one thing I really do believe is that in watching, I've watched his shows on, on um, the Travel Channel, and I watched some of his shows on CNN. And one thing I find very interesting about Anthony Bourdain is that um, he his presence came about because he was an asshole. Um, and it really did. No, he really his his first book, I think it was Kitchen Confidential, mm-hmm. was really brutal. It was really a brutal explanation of the kitchen industry. And Anthony Bourdain, I learned about him many years ago. I didn't like him at first, and to be quite honest with you, he's not somebody who I fell in love with. Mm-hmm. But what I did fall what I did fall in love with was his ability to go into. Um, Go into countries, go into cities, and become one with the people of those cities, like the Bronx. Yeah. yeah. That micro. Um, and and the thing that I liked about Anthony Bourdain is that he learned from other people who were different from him. Yeah. And towards the end of his life, towards the end of his life, I didn't know that his his girlfriend, his partner, was a victim of Harvey Weinstein. Oh, and wow. I didn't either. Yes. Hmm. And he became a really, really big spokesperson on on how 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 messed up the kitchen and you know the restaurant industry is. Mm-hmm. But right. he was a guy. He was a guy who actually kind of he went into. It, 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 he was a fascinating human being. Um, his his he had serious drug problems when he was younger, yes, like yes, horrifically yes. bad, bad, mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. So my, my the point that I'm trying to make is that, you know, he was yes he was a drug addict and he also was an asshole, <laughs> but you know, no, I mean this seriously. I, I'm listening to you. I'm just I, when but, you say he was an asshole, it's just kind of funny the way you're saying it is going to make me laugh every single time. Sorry, he was an asshole. You're like saying it like he was a Presbyterian. You know, <laughs> well, you know, he wasn't a Lutheran, but, <laughs> but the fact is, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at it from the Me Too movement in that he's somebody who always, from from probably after he got off of his, you know, when he stopped doing his drugs, mm-hmm. he started to be self-inflective, and I think all of his shows were reflective of that. Hmm. You know, right. going in instead of going to the most famous restaurant, I want to go in and I want to get to know the people of a city or a country. And that's something I I just find, I wish more people did this in the world. And it doesn't even have to do with food. It, yeah. it comes down to a fact of, if you see something that's ugly, don't be afraid to walk into the ugly. Mm-hmm. Right. Walk I mean, into he, it and try to understand the ugly. Because maybe it's I, not as ugly as you think it is. Maybe you're judging a little bit more than you thought you would be. Right. So. I mean, he went He went to Gaza. He went to Iran. He hmm. went to places that you and I, and, I, and you and I, and pretty much every, you know, most everybody listening or everybody that's not listening would go, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not going to go there because that's kind of scary. Um, you know, he's it, obviously he wasn't scared because of- he was suicidal anyway. He was like, well, if I get taken out, oh, well, 
so he was there was a couple of uh, situations where um, locals or the government were very unhappy that he was filming certain things and it, it just you know so it luckily never escalated to a scary horrific thing but you know he's there and he knows that he has that there's that element of something could happen but you know he's still going to talk to people and he's still going to you know he's he's going to be in those places because he believes they deserve a voice sure um and he, you know and and i think you know that's why i think wholeheartedly that he did make the world a smaller place he didn't make it, you know one of the one of the things that they were saying last night cnn had a tribute show about him and so they do clips and they would talk about him and that kind of thing and i one of the one of them and i i can't remember which one said that most people see most of the countries he went to on tv only when there's something bad happening so you see people getting shot you see people you know a, a huge tsunami or you see something negative in the news and that's what you you know most people go oh god that's frightening and oh my god that's it and that's just not but you know what Heidi we're talking about an international level this is what's happening right now in America right here in in our backyards right and and I, I, I guess I'm trying to bring it back to a local thing because before we can go international and say we have to save the whole world we have a big problem here in America where we have a lot well, of yeah. Right. My point wasn't that we were we need to save or we we are at a position of saving, but it, I think if you know and you look at stuff like and I'm going to bring it up, immigration. So many people in this country look at people that are from that are not born in the United States as some sort of bad entity. Mm. So they are looked at as whatever bad killers rapists murderers they whatever do. some some people do look at people and some like people that. do shame. Yeah. Point that I was trying to make right is, and is so there was a point i was going to try to make mm-hmm. okay is that you know if we all took anthony bourdain's message and maybe if some of us in this country decided to go on the outskirts of our neighborhoods and visit a restaurant that we might not normally visit because it's on the outskirts of our neighborhoods. Oh, I always do. Maybe, maybe this, we as a country could take the lesson from Anthony Bourdain. That was what I was trying to say. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's, yeah, that's what my point, you know, my point was too. Right. You're saying a lot of people don't see people for the, the human beings and the family members they are well even if they're from right, another country every, i think right the three so, of us do yeah but you know that's why i, I live mean, in a, a big city kind of right i mean because for me and i'll be honest I, and and, and I, I know it sounds like hyperbole but when you know we've been talking like five or ten years ago some of some of the you know some of those countries you see on tv it's like, oh God, that's frightening, you know. And you just think, you think, oh, okay, that's that's not some place, you know. That 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 country has so many screwed up issues that it's just, it's just, that's just horrible. But when you see somebody like 
an Anthony Bourdain or, you know, there's some other, there's other shows that do this too, but he did it really well. When you see him over there and you see him talking to real people who are not sitting on TV telling you how terrible shit is. Oh yeah. And you see them and they are like, Hey, yeah, this, we have this issue, but Hey, we also have this. You go, okay, I was a moron. I was doing exactly what I have that I hate other people doing, which is looking at a snapshot in time of a bad thing that happened 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago and think that that's what everybody's life is in that particular country. And it's not the case. Um, And it's not something he did very well. That's something that he was able to give you that perspective that wasn't on the, the national news for 10 minutes or five minutes or a 30 second sound bike and bite moved on to, um, you know, the, the new opening of the Walmart down the street or something. <laughs> he actually stayed there, talked about it and it was important. Um, well, that's why and- it's, it's lovely to know more about people that live in countries because you hear about the news, but they're just like us. They're trying to live their lives. And then these news things happen you know, and they're, they're making delicious food for their families and living their lives. And you probably could be friends with most people around the world, you know, if right. you got to know yeah. them. And it, it's a shame to judge people by their leaders <laughs> because we don't want to be judged mm. by our leader, <clears throat> right? <laughs> right. So, right. you know. <laughs> it's so true. Uh, and I was saying that 20 years you know, ago, and it wasn't as funny 20 years ago, but now it's really funny. No. <laughs> Uh. But, you know, you know, I think for me, the bottom line is, is, well, there's a couple of, couple of things is no matter, you know, I don't know many people who are perfect in every aspect of their life. And I think that Anthony Bourdain was flawed, which most people are flawed in some probably not great way um, in their history. But I think that, you know, if we're just speaking of him specifically, he was able to overcome a lot of that as far as what he did and what he said. And he, you know, the, the book that he put out was pretty, you know, from what I've understood, again, I didn't read it, is, is you know, like you said, pretty horrific and scary. And, you know, my husband worked in uh, kitchens for like 10, 10, maybe 15 years. And, yeah, he said that that's pretty much, you know, a lot of times you had some chef or someone you know in charge who was a complete psychopath um and that was just kind of the nature of the beast in a lot of in in a lot of ways but it's not fun um, working in a kitchen trust me i've done it (laughs) oh you have millions of different jobs did you did you read his book i did not like he's not my favorite chef that's the thing i'm a bobby flay girl okay Okay, <laughs> I love him. <laughs> um, Ken's more of a. I actually had conversations with Bobby Flay. Shut up on the you phone. Not he's so yeah, cute. I have. Yes, oh my I God. Yes, Ken likes um, Gordon Ramsay, and he's actually given us a lot of tips that make us better cooks. Um, no nice. No, I mean some of the things that Ramsay says are like, oh my God, that's true. And Bobby Flay is kind of a kitchen genius but yeah i've worked in a lot of kitchens and a lot of fast food places which is even worse and a lot of done a lot of food prep i mean i was so happy when i finally got an office job and was 
fine not going home smelling like french fries every day because it's it's really <laughs> hard especially when they make you wear polyester back in the day and there's french fry yeah, grease in that yeah this was like way before people were like okay you can wear black jeans it's okay they were like here's your <laughs> polyester pants to match your polyester shirt Oh my god. Is it Burger so, King or McDonald's? Hardee's. I chose Hardee's because oh, I liked them. Damn. Yeah, I'm I'm off brand even way back when I was fifteen. <laughs> no. Hardee's was good back in the day. It was. And we made that cinnamon rolls, but <laughs> like I said, that's a oh, lot gosh. of work. That's a lot of would you like fries with that, ma'am? Oh God in heaven. It's hard. And you've always got Aww. there's always personalities and you know, everybody wants to drink with you afterwards, and yeah. But some of my worst sexual harassment show was at Bob Evans. You know, <laughs> I worked at Bob Evans for a long time. Way worked too there long. too. Hmm. You worked at Bob I Evans. Always found. No, I just I gotta tell you, I found Bob Evans to be sketchy. It's awful, and you know what? Everything's out of a bag. Don't eat there, ever. <laughs> It's disgusting. I don't think I've ever, I've never even seen a Bob Evans, I don't think. They're not from up here. Good for you. They're, they're, they're kind of like, yeah, they, maybe they didn't make it that far. It's down on the farm, but they put the, all that sauce, they sent, they bag it and they send it to them for consistency measures. Blech. I learned about Bob Evans when I moved down south. We yeah. ate there a couple of times and yeah. it was okay, but I felt like, yeah. It's better than Cracker, like Barrel. cracker Barrel. Bob Evans <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, like a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Yeah, he has a sausage out. It's not of bad. Of course, Bob Evans does. Of course, Bob Evans does. Yeah, we used to call it the Funny Farm. Yeah, but anyway, back to Hollywood and all the fascinating um, the women's roundtable. I don't know if this is going to be a show or if it's just different people talking about their shows and their experiences. But I did want to talk about Rachel. Um, Brosnahan and the Marvelous Mrs. Mabel. She talks briefly about her show and uh, her experience, but I really love that show. It's it's not it's not long. It's set in like 1958, uh, New York, and it's really fascinating. But let me play that real quick. This theme and idea of of a woman discovering a voice that she didn't know she had resonates in a new way now, uh, and that's. I think been nothing but encouraging in the midst in the midst of a lot of turmoil and also a lot of hope. I feel like despite a lot of sadness and trauma and worldwide despair, I'm I'm so encouraged by this moment we are living in, this mm. exact moment. People are feeling a responsibility in a positive way mm. to play an active role in their futures. And these are all things that we talk about through the marvelous Mrs. Maisel and through the titular character Midge. So yeah, and it's it's uh, without giving anything away. Basically, she goes through some stuff, and she just finds herself going to the Lamplighter, which is the a uh, close by comedy club, and just talking about it. <laughs> and she just has like the perfect delivery pitch, <laughs> you know, because comedians are always talking about their lives and stuff but she just had she just it's so funny like and, i don't know and the character the character is a woman at yeah. a time when women weren't supposed to be funny or 
comedians, well, she, right? It, the funny another thing about this show is she is doing everything. Like she has two children. She is um she is doing everything except for dress her husband. Like she puts him together, gets him to work. She got him the job. You know, like she can't work because that's not what a nice lady would do in 1958. But she's doing everything behind the scenes to make everything perfect. And that's when things go wrong, then she just kind of breaks <laughs> in a in a really okay. it, but it's like the funniest thing, it's like is she goes to bed, puts her head on the pillow, and when she feels her husband has gone to bed, she gets up, puts her hair in curlers, puts a moisturizer on, and takes off Ouch. her false lashes. <laughs> then she goes to bed. In the morning, she wakes up before she he does. She goes, takes off all her stuff, you know, rinses off the conditioner, makeup, the mask. She takes the curlers out of her hair, lays down in bed, and yawns and wakes up. So basically, she's got him thinking that she looks like that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I mean, it's just, it's funny. Yeah, and you, you're like, oh, I can't believe people would do that. But it's like, she's taking Donna Reed one step farther. And I just love that. I, I oh think God. a lot of women did that. And there probably are a lot of women now starting to creep into a place where they have to do that now. Yeah, you I mean, I I don't I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, she's seriously like making her husband believe she wakes up with perfect hair. <laughs> I don't know. But You know, it, well, you know that the there's there's books or magazine articles from the 50s and 60s that literally told women make you know to keep your man make sure oh, that yeah. you're always pressed and buffed and make sure yeah, that was the good every hair is right every hair is in place and that you always have makeup on and yeah. you always greet him with a smile and all this other yeah. absolutely insane crap you guys you know, know make, about that sure Frank's, don't stress him out. Frank Sinatra song about uh always having a ribbon in your hair when you greet your man I forget what yes. that Frank Sinatra song is, but oh yeah, God, I forgot about that song. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it, me, it, it sort of feels like this is where, this is where, this is where this administration wants us to go back to. Oh yeah, and I'm totally. not kidding. It's a go back to thing. There was an article today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was an article today that um, the headline was "Senior I Have." House official defines the Trump doctrine. We're America, bitch. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, and that's strangely irritating. It, it, well, it irritates me because it just sort of makes it sound like, oh, okay, it's okay to use the word bitch again. Yeah. By men. By yeah. men. Yeah. See, we're women. We get to use the word bitch. I'm going to reclaim that word. I've long held that. But the fact that a man in that administration says that, God. No, you don't like that. I used to subscribe to Bitch Magazine, I, but I don't I'm like it as with, much as Bust. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine with women using the word bitch. Mm -hmm. I really am. I'm not fine with men using that word. Okay. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. I I hope it does. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, then another on that round table, we've got Molly Shannon talking about her show, Divorce. Have you heard of her show, Divorce? It's another show I haven't watched, but it looks amazing. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll play her clip real quick. Here we go. I think that, you know, so many people struggle in marriage. It's really hard, and you can feel really alone in that really alone my character is a character who has a, a volatile marriage a roller coaster marriage and i have so many women coming up to me like i relate to your character like they really related to it i i felt like this is so great you know women need to see themselves represented on screen and i just felt like it was really real i mean look over 55 percent of marriages don't work you try to heal these old parts of your childhood through marriage and most of the time it, it doesn't work it's really hard. I don't come from a traditional home. I was raised by a man. My mom died when I was little, so I, I'm not from, I don't have any kind of ideas about how life should be for women and children and families. I, I'm the most open person. And so traditional marriage is like a, an odd kind of foreign thing to me that I, I really don't know that yep. much about, even though I'm in one. I was going to say, <laughs> you, and Chris, say. <laughs> you and Chris are such an amazing example of no, making it work. Say, there's a great Nora Ephron quote where she says, how could I know what's going on in anyone else's marriage when I don't even know what's going on in my Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think I cut that Dude. off a little bit. So when I don't even know what's going on in my own marriage, you know. She's very funny, and she's she was great on uh, Saturday Night Live, Molly Shannon. Yeah, yeah, classic. But what she what she said earlier about you know most marriages don't work. Yeah, most end in divorce. She said fifty five percent. I don't. I don't. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you guys, you guys are probably lucky. I'm not one. Of, I'm not one of the fifty five percent club. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. My first marriage didn't work. But when she went on to say, you know, I didn't come from a traditional family, you know, in her situation, in this clip, she was raised by her father. And I think that we have to come, we have to come to a point where we need to stop accepting that every marriage lasts. Because it doesn't. Yeah. It's 50-55%. And a lot of times, a lot of times, it's the woman who leaves. Yeah. And most of male America doesn't want to accept that. It's usually, you know, women... Did I say male? I meant to say female. But um, <clears throat> the female leaves. The female is the one It's like, I'm done with this. This is not making me happy. I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. And... We need to accept that. And I'll, I'll go so far to say, you know what, dudes, if you want to stay married to your wife, listen to her instead of accepting or expecting him to listen to you. Mm-hmm. Google is saying that 50% of first marriages end in divorce, 67% yes. of second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. Wow, it doesn't get better as you go along? That's scary. It doesn't. (laughs) I was hoping it would too. On the other hand, I mean, listen, Suze, you're married to Ken. Mm -hmm. Heidi, you're married to Dave. You guys really, you're happy, right? 
Like, yeah. So <laughs> just stay with it. Yeah. I'm one of the 50% who was not happy. Yeah. Oh. And it took me six years to find somebody who wanted to be married to me. Yeah. Right. I and don't... he'll tell you. He'll tell you. I didn't want to get married again. <laughs> so I, 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 find that, I find those numbers kind of strange. I know they're probably true. But well, I think, I, here's what I'll say, Rain, about those numbers. <laughs> I think, and and obviously I'm not putting you in the, and in, in the, some of the people that I know that are on their second marriage and well, at least two that are on their third. Um, it depends on why you got married the second time. Because I will say right now, there are so many people that I know, um, and by no, I mean throughout my life, who got married right away after their second, uh, after their first marriage failed, because they didn't want to be alone, or they didn't want to, uh, they 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 couldn't handle that failure, and they needed to get back. And to them, failure, not me, failure. And they had to get back up on the horse again. And you know, and that's that was their Bless you. actual verbal you know how they felt actually that was uh, if, if if rain sneezed maybe she did but that <laughs> I, sound I that you heard in the background that wasn't no, me the, the i did not sneeze yeah the, the sound in the background you just heard was my dog oh what, did, did your dog sneeze and, did he sneeze yes and, god bless yes. him, god bless him. <laughs> and fell off the couch so oh. it was like a simultaneous sound effect thing so i apologize for that that's okay um never sell your house just burn the thing to the ground and just move on no um ah. but the, anyway. the point that i think that heidi's making is okay maybe i'm pushing this on but i feel like there's a lot of people who feel like if they're not married they are a failure and they have yes. to get married again and yes you no know, i i left i left my husband not because of divorce <laughs> Not because, you know, there was abuse. There, there was, I left him because it just, it wasn't working. Right. And my entire family and that happens. was like, what? Mm. Yeah, they, they literally were like, what? And I was like, look, Chris is a good guy. But it's not working between he and I. And, you know, I, I fell in love with Bob mm -hmm. five years later. And so... Right. The point is, is that I think there's too much pressure on too many people in this country to come up with reasons for why they want to divorce. Um, it's nobody's business but your own. Well, I no. Mean, you know. Yes, I agree with that. On the other hand, I mean, if there's abuse, get the fuck out. But if, right. there, if there are people out there saying, I'm just not happy. Yeah. That should be fine. And right. Nobody should have, you know, nobody should have to explain why. And that's no. the puritanical conservative issues that we have here in this country. And I'm not right. even talking about conservative politics. I'm just talking about we're a puritanical nation and we need to start right. getting over it. Right. We need to stop being judgy and judger pants. Yes. Well, and, you know, we were, yes. you were, we started this conversation regarding... A, a look back kind of to the 50s and 60s with the, you know, make, make sure you have the bow in your hair and all that other mm -hmm. stuff. That's, I, I mean, I know now, not back then when I was a kid in the 70s and 80s, but 
I know now that a lot of those women that I knew as moms of my friends or neighbors or whatever, if if they had the possibility to leave that husband, a lot of them would have because, mm-hmm. you know, not, and I'm not saying that they were abusive or anything like that necessarily, but a lot of them just were not, you know, they were not present in, in everyday life. They were, they had their own thing and they didn't care about the wife. Well, I wasn't here for the, you know, of the show, but a lot of those women didn't have the financial availability yeah. to leave that too. because they were, they were right. women had to stay at home right um and so you know and again for me you know if if so after 27 2007 with the with the you know financial disaster thing pretty much literally every friend that i have divorced Hmm. i know of one couple who is still together since then um that actually have been married longer than Dave and I. Um, but, you know, a lot of things that are kind of pushed to the back burner during good times become huge red flags when there's stress. And I think that has something to do with it when it's an economic downturn and you're maybe dealing with a job loss or um, income reduction or something to that, fa- that effect. A lot of shit kind of, uh, you know, those roaches come out of the out of the darkness. So you know that's enough. If if it's not strong, and you know, stress of the death of a family member, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's so many possibilities of things that happen to people that can really screw up a relationship. <clears throat> it's nothing negative. It's you know the people that that are involved don't necessarily mean that. Um, it's, it's a bad thing, but it does happen. It happens a lot. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's interesting that that statistic hasn't changed much in the last 10, 20 years. I think that it's always been about 50% don't, um, don't survive. Yeah, she, well, that's the thing. Um, Molly Shannon was saying 55%. Google's saying 50%. So. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's about in the ballpark. Yeah. Well, they've got the U.S. Census, so they're they're saying that they're using the U.S. Census, which is pretty darn accurate. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm still Molly Shannon. You're a big fan. Yeah. I. I like her. I I love her. Yeah, I don't think there's as much a stigma to divorce as there used to be. I mean, I remember when it was whispered, you know, like. you know yes it's not like that anymore you know but no it, yeah, i don't think it is no not at all it depends maybe on your religious upbringing like my my uh i have a friend that um divorced her husband after two kids they had to do something special with the catholic church but she was kicked out of the church yeah 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 so she wasn't able to uh with that particular congregation she had to find another one so but only yeah. her the hubby could stay oh really i didn't know that yeah. i figured they were both thrown <clears throat> out no not nope. not her just nope. hubby's, just that hubby's fallen woman just that fallen woman yep. nothing wrong with you buddy 
All right. Yep. Well, <laughs> let's see. We do have about five <laughs> minutes left, but um, does Hubby I, still go to church? And did he ever go to church? Yeah. In in this particular situation, yes, it was about the similar church activity between the two of them, but Wait, it was her. No, no, no. Yes. So it was not every day or every week, but it was like a once a month thing, but it was her family church, not his family oh, church. Oh, okay. It's a dang shame. Right. Yeah. Wouldn't it be <clears throat> ironic if they were like, yeah, you can stay to the guy, but she was the one dragging him there every week anyway. So he's never no. going back. Wow. Yeah, so it was like what it was the whatever in the, this particular Catholic church they did communion once a month, mm-hmm. not every time for some yeah. reason. And that was the week that they would go was when they did the blood of Christ, body of Christ yeah. communion thing. Mm-hmm. That's when they would go. So and they liked the holidays that and yada yada yada. Yeah. Yeah, they like the ritual. Yeah. yeah. So but so he's allowed to go in be at that particular congregation. She's Even the, though he didn't go every week. That was my right. point. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's and just I don't amazing know any more specifics than that. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know anymore. But that was a while ago, right? Because right now, all churches are just like, my God, wear anything you want. Just come. Just come and see us on Sunday. You uh, know? Uh, 20, yes. 2011? Yes. 2010? It's not like, oh, 2010, 2011. really? It wasn't. 2010, 2011? Somewhere in there? Because the churches in this area are like, please, come. I mean, we've even gone to, like, rummage <laughs> sales where the the members of the church are like, yeah, we're a dying church. Nobody under 60 is here. And we're like... And even Ken, who's an atheist, yep. was like, I felt bad. Maybe we should go there sometime. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> you feel so bad for those old guys and ladies. And <laughs> you're like, you're going to church. Great. Right. If you well, and Ken go to church, I want pictures. I know, right? I couldn't even. I do, but no. I, th- I, I just think. That, well, we do go to rummage sales at churches, if you know what I mean. So that's how we're interacting with church-going people. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, it, it, it could. <laughs> well, part of it. I mean, for those of us who did go to church when we were kind of forced to. Oh, I did because, for 18 years. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Every yeah, me week. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's because they don't cater to anybody younger than the 60-year-old people. And, you know, it's this is happening. Yeah, it is happening all over from what I've understood. But mm-hmm. I don't spend enough time in church to be able to tell you from a personal perspective. <laughs> Oh. Uh, it's pretty much funerals, funerals for me, and maybe an <laughs> occasional crap set. And other than that, no. Well, to me, the people in my life that have found religion are the one that have ones that have children. Like my brother got religion when he had a daughter. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was like, oh my god. But that didn't last long. But that's another story. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, it's kind of, yeah. He just he just wanted another form of control, I think. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but another another show that they did talk about in this, ran, ran, uh, this round table was Smelf, 
with Frankie Shaw. If I'm not going to have time to send the, show that clip, it seems like she directs and wrote and produced it. And I'm like, wow, I started to watch that, but I didn't really. So I'm thinking I'm going to check that out. And then uh, Tracy Elias Ross from Blackish. And I didn't watch Blackish, but I did watch Grownish. Grownish is the <laughs> story of her daughter that goes to college, which is so cute. They just they just started I, off at I the beginning. Love, hmm. I do. I love her. She she was she was somebody. Tracy Ellis Ross. I, I don't know. If, yes. Yeah. I don't she's know. Was it TED Talk? But she was a woman who came out and said, "Why are you questioning me? Because I don't want to be a mother." <laughs> Did she oh, say wow. that? That's great. Oh, oh. And, she plays uh, a mother yeah, pretty well. She's, she's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I really, I, did, I, I couldn't, like, I just, the story Grownish is basically about her daughter, and their daughter goes to fashion college, and she is, like, she compares herself to the Breakfast Club, which is really cute, like, they're these friends, and they make friends, and they have nothing in common, so I just thought it was, <laughs> it was a really cute show, and I was really getting addicted to it, and then season two's not out yet, or maybe it is, and I haven't found it yet, but season one was really good. So, but once again, Blackish is about a nice suburban family where everyone's employed, and I just don't think I can watch it because I don't like <laughs> things about that family dynamic. Isn't that horrible? <laughs> no, it's it's a good show. Yeah, it is. Okay, it is. So, and I don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> and you watch that one, so maybe I should. I do. But then again, it's if you really can't, good. like, I want to start from the beginning. If I start something, I want to start all the way from the beginning and watch the first episode and keep going. So I'll have to check if it's on Netflix. But I think it every, is. Almost, yeah, almost everything is on Netflix. I yeah, <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere on Netflix. So that's it. I guess we should wrap up. Anybody got any final stuff to say? No, although I do say, I would say that Blackish is really pretty funny. It's a pretty good show. Yeah. It's one of the ones that we watch. Yeah. She talks about Me Too also. And I thought that was pretty cool, you know. And, um, yeah. So. No, well, if you guys do like that show, um, it's funny because in Grownish, it just shows her father calling her up saying, you're going to come back this weekend, right? And crying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I think was pretty funny because I had when I went to college I had my parents were like are you coming back for the weekends I'm like no no I'm staying right here I like it <laughs> and I had friends that are like but you'll come back every weekend no I'm having a ball there's no way I'm coming back home you know <laughs> but it was really funny because she was her dad was crying like we're gonna watch our favorite movies together why did you come back home and she's like no Calm, get, yeah. get over it. I like you too, Dad. Go away now. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of uh, me. Hmm? That, that was, was me. you. Was yeah, like, no. yeah. Going, was- I'm going to New York City. I'm going to college. My mom was like, "When are you coming back?" And I was like, "I are you going to get me gonna a ticket? Happen. <laughs> you going to buy me a train ticket? Because I barely got to New York City. I had no money. Oh yeah. Oh, that's rough. But she wow. was like, "Okay." I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll find a way. <laughs> You're like, send a letter, Mom. But yeah, yeah, you know, when you go to school, it's just, 
then you get involved in all these great new friends and these great new places and these great new things and you start doing all this stuff and you're like forget it yeah yeah that's exactly <laughs> no what happened way. to me yeah. it took me a long time i mean it was long many many years but it was like yeah i'm not going back to germantown new york yeah nope nope that's that's why i like this the show um grownish because she loves her college experience and it's it's pretty funny so, anything else, Heidi? No, nothing else except, uh, uh, God, I was going to say something, but now I can't remember what it was. Uh, it's just one of those days. It's just starting, everything's starting to blur together. Humidity's <laughs> kind of steaming my brain ever so vaguely. Yeah. It's not hot enough to fry it. It's just like steaming it. You know, just steaming it, in a, yeah, in a little a bento box kind of yeah. steaming. Good. Yeah. Nice. So okay, let's call it a let's call it a day, and um, let me hit this, and you guys have a good week then. Resistor Sisters, destroying the patriarchy one podcast at a time.